We started last week uh, a sermon series on the Psalms, and this week we're going to do Psalm 91. We did Psalm 23 last week. This week we're going to go to Psalm 91, and I'm going to go verse by verse, and if the Lord performs a miracle, I will make it through the entire Psalm by the grace of God. So two hours later, and I'm just kidding. Hang in there. I won't hold you that long. I will force myself to quit. Um, But Psalm 91... We're going to talk about this. Matter of fact, let's just go ahead. Let's just go ahead and read Psalm 91 so we can get that out into the atmosphere and it'll get in your heart and in your minds and then we'll break it down as we go through it. Sound good? Let's read it together. It'll it'll be good. So so Psalm 91 says, he who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God and him. I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that walks in darkness nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand shall fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked. Amen. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. This is an awesome psalm. You all agree with that? Amen. It's an amazing psalm. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I've committed certain passages of Scripture to memory. That's one of the ones that I memorize and I, I quote it a lot of times to myself when I'm just meditating on the Lord and praying. And I'll pray that psalm a lot of times. Now, this week, just so you can have a, a testimony that goes with it, I was talking with Bob yesterday. And Bob has this testimony because I believe in God's divine protection. And that's what this psalm is about. You guys believe in, in God's divine protection. Bob was, uh, he came home one evening and there was a man that had robbed several people that particular day. He had robbed some vehicles. He had broken into some houses, I think. I don't have all the full information. But this man was on the loose. They were looking for him. Someone had picked him up, but he, he, he had somehow escaped the vehicle and different things. And so finally, he was hiding behind Bob's door after he had broken into his house when Bob came in. And this man pulled a gun on Bob and put the gun to his head. And Bob said he reacted. He didn't know what to do, so he reacted. He said later, looking back at it, he said, it's probably a stupid thing, but I grabbed the gun and I tried to wrestle this guy. And he said, so he started wrestling him into, uh, in, into like a little bathroom area and they were kind of fighting. And, and he said that this, this was Bob's gun that the man had. And Bob says the guy didn't realize that there was a bullet in the chamber. So when he had it pointed at Bob when Bob was wrestling, rather than pulling the trigger, he actually, he actually cocked it and the bullet that was in the chamber f- popped out and hit Bob in the chest. 
And, and then he says at that point that he backed up and he, and he didn't say anything. So this guy ends up putting Bob in the, in the closet and, 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 then, and then this guy takes Bob's wallet and Bob had just taken $700 out of the bank and the guy is fleeing from the house and as he walks out, he, dro- he drops Bob's wallet, leaves the wallet there by accident and he leaves. But here's, 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 what, here's what the amazing thing is that Bob told me in this. He, people say, well, Bob, were you afraid? Were you scared? And he said, I don't know why exactly, he said, but for whatever reason, the whole time I had no fear. I just wasn't afraid. That's an unusual thing, isn't it? Because most people are scared to death to begin with, and then when somebody breaks into your house, that increases your fear on multiple levels. But he said, while I was dealing with this guy, I didn't have any fear. But the one thing that Bob and Barb noticed later was right where the confrontation happened on the wall was Psalm 91. Right, and he said, "See, and here's Bob's words. He quoted it to me. He said, here's what he said yesterday when I was talking to him about it. He said, well, see, you know, I don't, you don't have any fear, but after I read that, I realized when God's angels are surrounding you and protecting you, you don't have to fear. Amen. Now, see, the thing is, we, we are people that we say we believe the word. We believe in the word of God. Man, we get up, we preach the word. I believe the word of God, but in practice, we don't actually be, but we believe the word of God in theory. We don't often believe the word of God in practice. We don't apply it to our everyday lives. We read it, we say amen, we say we believe that preacher. But oftentimes we do not apply it to our lives and believe on it in that sense. Now, it's, it's so important that we not only believe the, the word of God, but we put it into practice because we are living in days more and more, you know as well as I do, that people are in terror and people are in fear. People live in constant anxiety, afraid that something is going to happen, that something's going to happen to them, to their children, to their families, Family, and they're at every turn, they're just wondering what could happen, what could happen. And there's this constant sense of fear that actually robs their joy, it robs their peace, and it ultimately can rob their relationship with God. Now, see, let me tell you something. Fear does not belong in the church of Jesus Christ. It does not belong, and we cannot allow it to overtake the church of Jesus Christ. Fear does not control us. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now, Revelation 21.8, this is a great verse to start any sermon with. It's very, uh, very encouraging. It says, but the fearful, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, right? You're encouraged, right? Amen. It's just scripture. It's a good, it's a good verse. And you got to take note of it. But notice the very first two that it lists, the fearful and the unbelieving. Because this world seeks to control people. And one of the ways that this world and Satan ends up controlling people is he works fear into their hearts until they no longer believe God. And now that they no longer believe God, they seek other things to give them peace or pleasure. And all of these other sins begin to operate in their life. Why? Because they are fearful and they don't believe God. And so the fearful and the unbelieving, we've got to deal with fear. We've got to deal with unbelief almost before we deal with anything else in our lives. And, and it's important. Let me, let, me te- let, me, let me say something to you this morning as the church. We've got to understand that, yes, this world, there are bad things that happen in this world. People get sick. People die. There are natural disasters. All sorts of things happen. But do you know that the scripture says that as darkness is covering the earth, that the glory of God will rise upon you and the glory of God will be seen upon you and you will shine like a light in that darkness and all the people that are fearful because of all of the terrible things that are happening are going to see the church and say those people are different how come it is that they've got peace in the midst of the storm how come it is that they are not afraid but they believe God and they trust God and it will actually turn people to the Lord because you have a different heart 
because you have a different mind because you live in peace. And so God is, God is trying to release this into the heart of his people. God did something for us in divine protection when Jesus died for us on the cross. And a lot of people, when you preach uh, sermons, when you talk about the word of God, people will say, well, you know, Clay, I see, I know that scripture. I know the word of God, but that's not what happened to me. And we begin to base what we believe on our experiences rather than the word of God. Somebody amen me. And so when we see the word of God, we say, I don't believe that because I experienced something differently. And then we set aside the word of God. And the one thing that Satan wants you to do in your life is to begin to put your faith in what has happened rather than what God's word says. I'm telling you right now, you got to understand that. The spiritual warfare that we face, he knows that the word of God is the sword that spells an end and a defeat to him. So he's trying to get you to lay down your sword, the word of God that's on your lips and on your tongue. He wants you to lay it down and stop believing it because he knows that once you lay down your sword, you have no weapon. You're constantly on the defensive and he can begin to overtake you piece by piece. You say, but Clay, bad things happen. I, I agree with you. Bad things do happen. And Job, put that verse up from Job, if you would. In Job chapter 5, verse 19, it says, He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. He shall deliver you in six troubles, and in seven, no evil shall touch you. What is he saying? He's saying he's trying to grow you in your faith in the Word of God. That means that you may have six bad experiences, you may get fall sick, there may be a difficulty, there may be a disaster, but in each of those troubles, God will deliver you. And if you will continue in faith in the word of God, in the seventh time, once you are perfected, no evil shall touch you. Amen. What does that mean? That means that just because I'm believing the word of God and something bad happens to my life, doesn't mean that I stop believing the word of God. What it means is I start believing the word of God and what happens is Satan releases demons to steal the word of God out of my heart. I begin to confess the word of God. I begin to preach the word of God. We preach about certain things and then all of a sudden whatever we preached on the exact thing happens to us. And what do we say? Well, the word of God doesn't work. Might as well quit reading it. Might as well quit believing it. We'll go to church and say we believe it in theory. But as far as actual practice goes, we will not pursue the breakthrough in believing God's word for my situation any longer. We'll be nominal Christians. We're just in name, not in practice. Somebody admit me this morning. You know it's what we do. And he's saying, no, you may have a bad experience, but you do not lay down your sword. We are in a war Bad things happen. People fall sick. Different, different evils happen. Disasters happen. But that does not mean that we get to lay down our sword. We are in a battle. Amen. It's when the evil happens, when the struggle happens, when the circumstance happens, that I put the word of God on my lips even more and begin to pull my sword. I don't lay it down because something difficult or something challenging has happened in my life. See, the book of Psalms was Jesus's prayer book. He used it as his prayer book. This was the Jewish prayer book. And these, these, the Jews, see, when we pray, we're like, well, I don't know what to pray. The Jews, they never could ever say we don't know what to pray because they had a prayer book. They would sit and quote Psalm 91 and recite it seven times in a row. And for them, that could be morning prayer. And then the Jewish Talmud, Jewish history says that actually they would say recite Psalm 91 seven times. And in the seventh time, they said that there would be healing release. That was what they believed. And there was a guy I told you about last week, John G. Lake. He actually said, no wonder, no wonder that 
healing power is released when you recite that Psalm seven times. He says, because when you recite the word of God that much, the spirit of faith begins to come up in your heart and it's released. That word begins to get on the inside of you and it transforms your thinking. It transforms who you are. You guys have got to fall in love with the word of God again. I was telling somebody else the other day, I was telling somebody the other day, I said, you know, the sad thing is, is we got a bunch of people who come to church that are Christians and they don't love the word of God. Matter of fact, I would venture to say that very few people actually even read the word of God on a regular basis. And do you know that you do not live by bread alone, but you live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You've got to be in the word and the word has to be in you. That's how you abide in Christ. You got to fall in love with the word once again. Don't just make it something that you hear on Sunday. Let it be something that saturates your soul, your daily life every single day. I was how many of y'all you seen that movie Dunkirk? Anybody? Anybody? We got one, two. Yes. So it's a movie. They don't do a lot of talking in it, but it's a portrayal of a, 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 a war scene, a particular time that happened in World War II when some British soldiers and the Allies were fighting the Nazis. They were fighting Germany and Hitler, and, and they were basically losing the war, and they were having to flee, and they went to this place called Dunkirk where they were stuck on this beach and they were funneling some 338,000 men through this and they were thinking this is the only way that we can evacuate them and get them out. And what ended up happening though was as they were fleeing, they got stuck on this beach and Hitler was surrounding them with both planes that were bombing them and, and troops and, and, and tanks that were surrounding them. All and everybody knew, they knew we're in trouble. We got thousands of our men on this beach and they're all gonna die because they're being surrounded. So Winston Churchill went to King George VI and said, we're in a bad situation. King George VI had no battle plans. Winston Churchill was not a godly man. He, didn't, he wasn't a religious man. He wasn't a spiritual man. But King George said, well, the only thing I know to do, Mr. Churchill, is we need to call for prayer. And they called everyone to repentance and prayer and to seek the Lord for those men. Now, that's not in the movie. Of course, you know, Hollywood's never going to put anything like that in the movie. I'll tell you another thing that's not in the movie here in a minute. But, but he calls for national prayer and they begin to pray and seek the Lord. And on the day after they pray, as these tanks are coming in on the sides, all of a sudden, nobody knows why they say that it could have been ultimately the reason that Hitler and Germany ended up losing the war was that Hitler decided to halt the troops and he stopped them. And nobody knows why. Because they had them dead to rights. They didn't even have anything. They had no ammo. They had nothing at Dunkirk. They, 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 they were just setting ducks waiting to be either evacuated or killed. And he halted them. And right after he halted them, they continued in prayer. And what happened was a huge storm came. They were trying to figure out how to get boats in there to evacuate them. This huge storm came and covered it up. And all of a sudden, after the storm was lifted, there was complete cloud cover. And it was so still and so calm that these boats could go in completely unnoticed and evacuate all those troops. And they thought at best they would evacuate 30,000. They evacuated 338 thousand men. Now, there was a guy, a war correspondent named C.B. Morlock. You can read about this. And C.B. Morlock was a war correspondent in World War II, and he said that he spoke with the Navy sailors who went and picked up these men, and in one particular location, there were 400 men that had absolutely no cover. They were on the beach wide open to, to the planes that were flying over with machine guns and bomb, and they were shooting machine guns and bombing the fire out of them, just one right after another. And these men said they had no cover, so one guy taught them Psalm 91, and he told them that not only were they reciting Psalm 91, 
one, but when they were flying over, they were shouting Psalm 91 at the planes as they were flying machine guns over, and all 400 men, none of them were hit. Somebody amen me this morning. The Lord wants to give you divine protection. you got to understand that. And when we read the Psalms, I think sometimes we read it in the King James Version and we say, oh, that's like Shakespeare. It's very poetic. No, God wants to apply it to your life. It's not just figurative language. It's the Word of God. It's living and active. You have to apply it to your life. So let's get into it. Let's look, let's look at uh, verse 1 and verse 2. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. You've got four names of God right there. Now the first one is, is it says, the Most High. The Most High is Elyon. It means that he is above every other demon principality, every other God. There is no power greater than him. He is the Most High. The second name you see him called is the Almighty. This is El Shaddai. And it means that he's the all-sufficient one, that he supplies everything you need when you need it, and he is all-powerful. The third one is the Lord, and it's, uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, it's Yahweh. And it's a, it's a personal relationship covenant-making God. He wants to be in personal relationship with you. And then lastly, he just calls him my God. That's Elohim. It means he's the creator of the heaven and earth. So you got these four names for God. Now the fifth name for God is kind of hidden. It's at the very last verse, verse 16. If you put verse 16 up, watch this. I love this. Verse 16, 91. It says that with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The word for salvation, you know what name it is? It's Yeshua. It's the name of Jesus right there in the Hebrew language. It's Jesus' name. And so what's he saying? He's saying, I want to satisfy you with long life. And the reason I want to satisfy you with long life is so that you can see more and more of Jesus. You can see more and more of my salvation. Now, let me tell you something, folks. When people die that are Christians, we have no reason to mourn. Now, I will tell you this. We do mourn because it's sad when we lose. It's, na it's natural. Death is not a good thing. Sickness is not a good thing. Those things are not of God. And they happen, and naturally we mourn. But as Christians, we know that death is not the end. So even when our lives are cut short, we can still rejoice when we're Christians because we know that they are eternally with Christ. But see, we are praying and believing just like Paul did. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, it'd be better. I just prefer to die because I get to be with Jesus. But he said, I'm going to be alive because you all need to know Christ. And the reason you're still on this planet and the reason God wants to satisfy you with a long, good life is so that you can know Jesus more and you can reveal his salvation to the people around you. Amen. He wants to reveal Jesus to you more and more and more. So see, the devil loves you to be distracted and to not value God's word. But the scripture says that all the promises of God, y'all know this verse, right? 2 Corinthians 1.20. All of the promises of God, that includes Psalm 91, are yes in him, and therefore we say amen. Now amen is another token thing that we do in Christianity and nobody really knows what it means or why we do it, we just say it, right? But it actually means so be it in the Hebrew. And Hebrew people, when you would say a verse out loud or you would say a word as an act of faith, as a release of faith, you would say, amen, so be it in my life. I receive that word over my life, over my children, over my family, amen to it. We say it as a religious token because we grew up in the Bible Belt. But it means something and it is a release of faith. When you say amen, say it from your heart, believing that this word is going to happen in my life. I claim that for myself. I claim that for my children. I say amen because that's a promise of God. Amen. I heard one. Amen. So it is not just a token. It's not just a religious thing, but it's a spiritual thing. So 
let's look at verse 1 again. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of of the Almighty. He who dwells in this secret place. Now let me tell you something. We, as Christians, we are now in Christ. You realize that? Now a lot of us, we may know that or we've even heard that language, but we don't understand the benefits of it. When I'm in Christ, God the Father looks at me as if I'm clothed with Christ himself, as if I am Christ himself. When I pray, now I'm not Christ himself, praise God but Christ lives on the inside of me. And because I'm in Christ, when God looks at me, he looks at me without spot and blameless and holy. Why? Because I'm in his perfect son. That means when I pray, guess what? I pray as if Christ himself is, is praying. God receives those prayers that way. I'm in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, I'm a joint heir with Christ. That means that I have all the full benefits that Christ had. He made a switch with me. He took all of my sin, all of my curse, all of my pain, all of my shame, all of my rejection. He took all of that on the cross and was punished for it. Therefore, I can have his righteousness. I can have his holiness. I can have his sanctification. I can have his wisdom and blessing. And I also have his divine protection. See, it's one thing to know that you are in Christ. It's another thing to receive all of the benefits of being in Christ. But he says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. If I'm under somebody's shadow, right, I'm pretty close to them, aren't I? I'm practicing presence. See, in your daily life, you have got to learn to spend time with the Lord in his word and be near to him. Get up under his shadow. Let his word saturate you. Let his voice speak to you. And that's why when you hear the voice of God, a lot of times in the Old Testament, even Elijah, what did he hear? He didn't hear the voice of God in a storm or in an earthquake or in a fire in something loud and expressive. He heard it in a gentle whisper. And if you're going to hear a gentle whisper, you've got to put your ear close to the lips of a person. You've got to get near. See, so you need to learn to dwell in the secret place. You need to have a secret place with God so that you can abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Get in the secret place. Learn to pray. Learn to seek the Lord and be with God on a daily basis, folks, even if you're just going to take 10 or 15 minutes. The problem with the church today is we have no power because we've not actually been with God. Amen. This is good. Y'all are doing good. I appreciate you. Verse 2, it says, I will say of the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. Now notice the first, the first words there, I will say of the Lord. Let me tell you something, you need to say something of the Lord. You need to say out of your mouth. The Bible says, let the redeemed say so. You need to say so. There is power in your words. And most of you on a regular basis, if you were to take evaluation of what you're actually speaking out of your mouth, you would find that it is not faith-filled, but it is fear-filled. And fear is actually believing that the devil has more power to hurt you than God does to bless you and protect you. You're believing in the devil more than you're believing in God and it's coming out of your mouth and you're letting the devil know and you're also letting God know. But see, we got to say something of the Lord. He says, I'm going to say of the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. See, there is no room for saying, well, I just, it's just kind of what, what Caitlin was saying this morning. There is literally something. We're not just crazy people. We believe that worship at some point, it becomes expressive. And like I said, that don't mean you have to run the aisles or jump on the, on the seats, but it does mean that it starts to come out of your feet physical body. It means that it starts to come out of your mouth. It starts to come out of your hands. You lift your hands in praise. It starts to work its way out of you. See, it becomes a physical response to God and it comes out in my voice. Some people say, well, you know, I don't say anything, Clay. I don't let the word out of my mouth because it's in my heart. Well, see, the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
Romans 10.10 says, I believe in my heart and therefore I confess with my mouth. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, he said that he who says unto this mountain be removed and cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass. He shall have whatever he says. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 13 says, we all having the same spirit of faith as, as it is written, we have believed and therefore we have spoken. Somebody amen me this morning. That means that if I actually believe something, I will speak it out of my mouth and what I believe will end up coming out of my mouth. And you can evaluate on a daily basis what you are speaking out of your mouth and you need to take control of that because some of you are speaking things that are actually empowering the devil's schemes. The devil will come to you, he'll tell you a lie, he'll say, look, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get your children, I'm going to get this community and I'm going to take stuff away and you start saying that stuff out of your mouth. I'm afraid this is going to happen. I'm afraid this is going to... Do not confess your fears. Confess your faith. Amen. Confess your faith. Resist fear. The Bible says resist the devil and he shall flee from you. But Clay, I'd be lying if I said I was believing. I'd be lying. No, you're not lying. You're just tapping into a, a deeper source than what your mind is currently telling you. Tap into the spirit. Tap into your faith. Resist those fears. Resist those lies and speak the truth in his face. I bet whenever the devil came to Jesus that he felt like he should probably maybe even do some of the things, but he didn't go based on his feelings. He went based on his faith in God's word. And he said, it is written. He said something of the Lord. You have to say of the Lord, you are my refuge. You are my fortress, my God. In him I will trust. See, Jesus, while he was on the earth, he walked in divine protection. You ever notice that? Not one time did the disciples wake up on a, on a Monday or a Tuesday and they'd be like, Jesus, what you got for us today? What, what are we going to do today? And he's like, boys, I got a cold this morning. Well, Y'all better hold up. He never did that. He was walking in divine protection. He was walking in divine health because Jesus was the picture of what God designed humanity to be. He said, this is what humanity is supposed to look like. When you look at Jesus, this is what y'all were supposed to be. And ultimately, my goal is to make you look exactly like that. Man, that's awesome. Amen. His goal is not to make you rich or to make you this or that. Maybe those things become byproducts in this life. Praise God. But his goal is to make you like Jesus Christ. And one day he will because we are predestined in him to be conformed to the image of God in Christ. That means because we have entered into him, my destination is to look like Jesus. Praise God. Amen. I'm going to be like him one day. Getting there closer and more every day. So Jesus walked in divine protection. You, if you'll notice, you remember when Jesus went to his hometown, and this, this sometimes happens in your hometown. Jesus went to his hometown, he preached the gospel, he opened Isaiah 61, he read Isaiah 61, and everybody's like, today this, this, this scripture is fulfilled, I am the Messiah. Well, you know what they did? They didn't receive it. They took him, pushed him up on top of a hill, and they were about to throw him over the cliff. You can read it in Luke 4. And they, as they were about to throw him over the cliff, it just says this, and he passed through the midst of them. How do you, do, how do you have a mob of hundreds of people trying to push you over a hill and all you do is be like, I'm just gonna walk on through. <laughs> i tell you how you do it. You walk in divine protection. Nobody touched Jesus until it was time for them to touch Jesus. 
He was never hurt. He was never harmed. They tried to kill him several times and they could not touch him. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, God laid all of our iniquity upon him and he handed him over and then they took him in and they beat him and because God handed him over. But see, when he handed him over, there was a great exchange taking place. My sin was getting placed on him. Your sin was getting placed on him. The curse that we were under, the sickness, the disease, the fear, the anxiety, the depression, everything was getting placed on Jesus so that when he bore it on the cross, there could be a divine exchange. But you got to believe that word and receive it. you got to say amen to that. Amen, I received that into my life. I received that, Jesus, because that's what you did. Verse 3, it says, Surely, not maybe, but surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. The snare of the fowler is like a bird trap. Some of you boys, you probably do some trapping. I don't know. You, anybody do any trapping? Got one guy here does a little bit of trapping. You ever catch anything in that trap? Yeah. See, and there's some snares out there. Now, Satan will set a trap for you. But he says he's going to deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Now, traps are designed so that you can't see them. Now, a lot of people live in fear over what they can't see. They don't know. They just don't. I don't know what's going to happen today. I have no idea. We have no idea what's going to happen as we go out about our day. We have no idea, do we? But he promises us that he's going to deliver me from the snare of the fowler, the unseen traps. And he's also going to deliver me from the perilous pestilence that is a deadly sickness or disease, maybe even a bacteria that I cannot see. I was telling somebody the other day, this is another thing that we do in religious culture, is we pray over our food and we bless it, and we have no idea what we're doing. We just... We just pray something, a formal prayer. I, I tell people my, my least favorite thing to do as a pastor is to go to a big formal event and they ask me to pray, would you bless the food, Clay? Would you bless that? And, and I have no problem with that, but, my, but the point is, is I don't like formal prayers that have no power. If it's just a religious token, I just soon not even pray. If, it's just, if, if it means nothing to anybody, then why even pray? But see, when we pray over food, I tell, I tell people, that I say sometimes, if you've not seen me pray, I guarantee you with my hand, I've said, I sanctify this food in Jesus' name. Because we sanctify the food so that the food does not hurt us or destroy us. We sanctify the food. We set it apart to God. It's not for the purpose of like, oh, Lord, we bless this food and the people. And, and all that's good. We do. We want to open that up, right? We want to bless. We want to pray whatever we can pray. But the point is, is that when you sanctify the food, the Bible says the, the, that the food is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. It's set aside. So because we don't know, we might eat, we might go to, you may go to some place and uh, you may go down to Mexico and they got uh, E. coli and, and something you eat. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to sanctify that real quick. Ashi was telling me about some places because we went to, into Africa. There were even some things I'd be like, I'd be like, boys, put, put a little of that green there on my meat, there, if you don't mind. And Ashi'd be like, don't eat that, you know. <laughs> don't eat that. He said, hey, he said I didn't even eat that. Because there's some things you just don't know about, right? And it, it's, it's good to use wisdom. I mean, you don't want to eat just, boy, there's some raw hamburger. <laughs> You're not going to do that. You need to use wisdom, but understand that when you, you pray, you sanctify the food. It protects you. There's divine protection in that. Does that make sense to you? So don't, don't get me wrong. Continue to bless your food. Continue to pray over your food, but to pray in faith. Amen. Bless the people in faith. Don't just do it as a religious ritual. Do it with meaning. Do it with power. Do it from the heart. So... Uh, Mark 16, 18, you guys know the scripture, and a lot of people quote this, and they say, well, they shall drink any deadly thing, and it shall not hurt them. They shall, they shall take up serpents. And, and somebody, you know, every time you tell people, say, what kind of church you got? And some people, I say, well, you know, some people consider us to be Pentecostal, charismatic. Oh, y'all handle them snakes. I said, absolutely, every, every, every second Sunday of the month, yeah. Just kidding, you all listening online. We don't do that. You can show up. 
you can come. He's not talking about putting God to the test. He's talking about trusting the Lord for divine protection. That if you are to be bitten by a snake, like Paul was bitten by a snake, you remember he was bitten by, by a venomous viper, and the people were amazed because he was protected. He was not harmed. And there were people that have, it's historical fact, that people have been poisoned that were Christians, and after they drink it, they're not harmed, and the people that poisoned them end up giving their life to Jesus because they were protected. Amen. You have divine protection walking with God. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, verse four, and under his wings you shall trust. The feathers or the wings is a picture of a mother hen. A mother hen, when her little chicks are running around, you know, if, if, if danger comes, the mother hen will gather her little chicks up under her wings, under her feathers, and God is saying, I'll gather you up under my wings like this. Now, here's what's so interesting. If you could put Matthew 23, verse 37 up. Matthew 23, verse 37. Jesus is speaking over Jerusalem as he's about to go to his death, as he was about to go to his crucifixion. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing. He is weeping over Jerusalem. Why? Because he sees that they are rejecting their Messiah and they are rejecting divine protection. And he even goes to say later that there shall not be one stone left upon another because what did he see? He saw that about 30 years, 35 years after he dies, somewhere around that, that in AD 70, the Romans would come in and totally destroy Jerusalem. And for all intents and purposes, Israel would cease to be a nation until 1948. He saw that. He saw it coming and he said, I've so longed to gather you up under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks up under her. He said, but you were not willing. And I'm telling you, there are some people that they're not willing to receive the divine protection because they will not believe Jesus. They will not believe the word of God. You got to be willing to allow him to gather you up under his wings so that he will protect you. See, they weren't willing. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? And they cried out, we have no king but Caesar. They rejected their king. You can't reject your king and live under the benefits and the blessings that your king has purchased for you to have. Amen. He says, his truth shall be your shield and buckler. In that same verse, his truth shall be your shield and buckler. Now the truth, we said, the truth is the word of God. John 17, 17, Jesus says, Lord, set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. How is God going to set you apart from this world? Through his word. Amen. John 8, 31, Jesus says, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and the truth shall make you free. You got to have the word of God in your heart. See, but he says your truth shall be your shield and buckler. Those, a shield was for big attacks. You would dig it in the ground when people were attacking you. And a buckler was something that you would use like in hand-to-hand -hand combat. So whether you're experiencing something big that is attacking your entire family or our entire community, or you are experiencing a personal battle, God's truth will be your shield and it will be your buckler. In other words, you have got to have the truth of God's word in your heart because Satan is going to come against you. And when he comes against you he's going to plant lies in your mind and many of you even this morning you've come with dozens and dozens of lies in your mind about you about your family about your future about things that are going to happen or might not happen and those lies are causing in you anxiety and fear and even sin and you're beginning to worry and you're worrying about all these things and he's saying you need to get the truth of God in your heart you need to begin to confess that truth because that truth will be a shield to you in Ephesians 6 
Paul says, he says, you need the shield of faith to quench all the, all the fiery darts of the wicked one. See, it's not just hearing the word or quoting the word, but it is releasing faith in the word that lifts up a shield that will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And Satan is after your faith in God's word. You need to practice faith in God's word. And in, in essence, that means like if I was you, I'd do what I do. I would get some psalms dedicated to my memory. Even if it's just a verse, I would get some verses dedicated to my memory that I can speak out of my mouth when there's fear. What did Jesus do? Jesus had a, he had a prayer book. He had Deuteronomy. And when Satan came and, and, and proposed a lie to him, what would Jesus do? He'd say, it is written. It is written. It is written. Each time. He would quote the word of God. You need to get that truth in your heart. It's going to be a shield to you. And see, once it becomes a shield, let's read verse five and six. It says, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. You shall not be afraid. You remember Bob? He said, I just wasn't afraid. I don't know why. 365 times in the Bible, they say that it says, do not fear. God does not want you to live in fear. Fear for the Christian is ultimately not a part of our nature. We're not to live in constant fear. He says, you shall not be afraid whether it's at night. It's 24 hours. Terror by night, the arrow by day, the pestilence or sickness that you can't even see. And he says, or the destruction, a natural disaster that happens randomly in the middle of the noonday. He says, you don't have to be afraid of that. Why? The very next verse says, a thousand shall fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. I remember my buddy Cam, he was in the ocean one time, and he started quoting this verse because there, there was a shark fin that came up out there or whatever. And he, and, he, and he said, the first thing that came to my mind, he said, I started saying, a thousand shall fall at my hand and 10,000 at my right hand, or, or, or at, my right, at my side. And so he comes back in, he said, man, I quoted that wrong. I should have quoted something else because there was a lot of people around me and they could have gotten eaten by that shark. I should have prayed something over them as well. I don't want 10,000 falling up my right hand. But you know what ends up happening? What ends up happening is we, we pray for people and we experience people falling at our right hand or we experience people falling. And then in our mind, what it comes to is it says, well, you know, it happens to everybody else. Everybody else gets this thing or everybody else, it happens to everybody else. I've been reading a book recently. It's a pretty good book called Switch On Your Brain. This just come to my mind, but this woman actually says that you can change your genetic DNA. People say, well, you know, I have this because it's a part of my DNA. You know, by your thinking, you can actually change your DNA. You can change the generations to come and how you live physically, but it's when you accept it, you just say, well, that disease is a part of my family history, and you receive that. Now, you need to begin to receive the word of God that says, no evil shall befall you, no plague shall come near to your dwelling, that there's healing power in the blood of Christ. You need to begin to receive those thoughts and let it change your DNA, how you're wired, how you live. You shall not be afraid of these things when they come. A thousand shall fall at your, 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 your right side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. And then in verse eight, it says, only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. In other words, you, what you're going to see is not what the evil or the bad thing that happens to you. What you're going to see is the judgment that comes upon Satan and comes upon the powers of darkness. You're going to see the reward come upon Satan, which means your deliverance and your freedom. So, verse 9 and 10, let's look at this. We're moving quickly now. Because you have made the Lord, which, who is my refuge... 
even the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. See, at some point you just need to learn to confess these things. Father, I make you a dwelling place for me and for my family. No evil shall befall us. And do you realize, I've even heard preachers preach stuff like this and they say, well, you know, we thank God for the figurative language, but really this stuff has passed away and this doesn't work anymore. Bad things happen and you shouldn't believe this. You know what they do? They do like what the Pharisees did. They make the word of God of no effect. Somebody amen me this morning. There's got to be a switch. I know that everybody was raised in different denominations and this and that. But let me tell you something, folks. We didn't get saved by a denomination. We got saved by the blood of Jesus. And the last that I read, there's one faith, one church, one Lord, one baptism. And I'm not going to let a denomination or a preacher decide for me what is true for my life. I'm going to allow the word of God to decide for me what is true in my life. And just because the denomination that started in the 1600s after the Reformation or whoever you want to decide says that this is how it is, it doesn't mean that I'm going to allow it to make the Word of God of no effect in my life. Amen. I about started preaching right then, but I withdrew. <laughs> Verse, you got to believe God, man, and believe the Word of God and let every man be a liar. Verse 11 and 12 says, he, For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now you remember devil, the, Satan actually misquoted this to Jesus. And I believe, I believe Satan probably misquoted this. I doubt he studies scripture. I'm, I'm going I'm to venture to say that he hates it really bad, but he mustered up enough strength to speak this word out of his mouth. Why? Because I believe he's heard it quoted to him many, many times. And he realizes that he was an angel that was supposed to protect humanity, that was supposed to protect God's creation. But he fell and he came into a position where he no longer did it, but he hated it. He says, so yeah, won't you just trust his angels? God says he's going to let his angels take charge over you. Won't you just jump off and see if they'll actually do it? He's trying to get Jesus to put God to the test. We don't test God. I don't do something stupid for the sake of God protecting me. I'm not going to go out and take up a venomous snake, but if a venomous snake bites me, you better believe that I'm going to believe God's word. And, I, and you know what? I'm not, afraid of, I'm not afraid of medicine. Let me tell you something, folks. There are medicines that are helpful for humanity, but I would venture to say this. Put your trust and faith in God first because most medicines only deal with symptoms and they do not deal with root causes. You need to pray and seek the Lord and even seek the Lord whenever you are going to take a medicine. Amen. Put him first. Doesn't mean you put off medicine. Doesn't mean you put off, doesn't mean you don't go to the doctor. Go to the doctor, but believe God first. Because ultimately they can help in different ways, but they cannot solve all problems. Only God can. And so when something happens, we put our faith in God first. And he says, he give his angels charge over you. They shall bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. Doesn't mean you jump off a building. It means that if I'm walking and something terrible is about to happen, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I've had situations where I believe there's no doubt in my mind there were angels that protected me. I could go into it, but it'd take too much time. But he can move things. They can do, they excel in, the, the Bible says, bless the Lord, O ye his angels who excel in strength, doing his commandments hearkening to the voice of his word. Can I tell you that angels need to be activated? Say, well, I don't know if I believe in angels. Well, might as well start. They're out there. Matter of fact, there's an innumerable host of angels, the Bible says. You can't count them. There's so many. 
And I need you to understand that when, the, when Satan fell, he only took one third with him. So that means for every 33 fallen angels, there are 67 good ones on your side. There are more that are for us than those that are against us. You need to quit magnifying the devil and magnify Jesus and speak his word and activate his angels. Amen. Amen. They're on our side. And see, they hearken to the voice of his word. When the angel Gabriel came to Daniel after 21 days of prayer and fasting, the angel declared, Daniel, beloved one of God, we have come because of your words. You know that the words that you speak out of your mouth will either attract the angelic or it will attract the demonic. What are you speaking out of your mouth? If it's evil, if it's nasty, if it's gossip, you, get, you invite some demons around. They'll start hanging out with you and meddling with you and getting you all confused and doing this stuff. But you start speaking the word of God, you release worship music into your house, angels will say, boys, I feel like the presence of God's down there. I believe I may go hang out down there and hang out around there. I told Ashi when we leave, you know, sometimes, some, I better not say this, should I? But either way, I said, sometimes we don't, we don't lock our door. And all she said, aren't you guys afraid of burglars? I said, well, you know, if, if they come, that big angel out front will knock one of them in the head and push them around. <laughs> Again, don't be stupid. Don't test the Lord. Maybe lock your door. <clears throat> but, uh, but trust him for that protection. He misquoted that verse. Scripture says that angels are ministering spirits sent forth. And you need to have that in your mind, folks. You need to understand that they're on your side. They're, they're literally waiting to be activated by your word. If I was you, I, this week I would get up and I'd just open Psalm 91 and I would walk through my house or just sit in my living room and I would read Psalm 91, not quietly, but out loud. Amen. And I would read it out loud in faith and release it into my heart and in my mind and into the room. I might even read it a few times if I was you. Because they hearken, they're listening for the voice of his word. Right now, this morning, angels are just, they're, they're, they're here, they're around us. They're listening to hear the word of God go forth. They're listening to it. They want to hear it. And when you speak things that are not of God, it repels them. Verse 13. Now you notice, Satan didn't quote this verse. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. See, the devil manifests himself in two forms. He manifests himself as a lying lion. He is intimidating. He's a liar too. But he is intimidating and he comes out like a roaring lion. That means he tries to intimidate you and get you afraid so that you will fall back with God. Right? The other way, though, he manifests himself is as a serpent, which is very subtle, very deceiving. But either way, whether he tries to instill fear in me or whether he's trying to sneak in some kind of sneaky, crafty way, the scripture says that I'm going to tread on him. I'm going to put him under my feet. Luke 10, 19, Jesus said, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I love that. Nothing is going to hurt me. If I have to confront the evil one, if he tries to get up in my face, I already know. I've got authority over him to trample on him. I'm going to overcome him in Jesus' name, and nothing shall by any means hurt me. And then in Romans 16, uh, the Scripture says, God, The God of peace shall soon crush Satan underneath your feet. If I was you, I'd just speak that out every day and just tell him he's up under my feet because Jesus has defeated him on the cross and disarmed all principalities and powers. Now, verse 14 through 16, we're going to finish here. Now, what you'll notice is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaks the first verse, 
And then verse 2 through 13, the son is speaking. And then the last three verses, the father begins to speak. And the father speaks in verse 14 and says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The father speaks five I wills that he is going to perform. And the first one is he says, is because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. At the end of the day, everything we do in this Christian life is about us receiving the love of God. And in response, we learn to love God wholeheartedly. Listen, we don't live out of compulsion or fear. We don't serve God because we're afraid we're going to go to hell. Now, I got to be honest with you. And when I first came to Jesus, not going to hell was a pretty good motivator. <laughs> Amen. Like it, le it led me to the Lord, but it could not sustain my activity for the Lord. What I do today, I don't do because I'm afraid of going to hell. What I do today, I do because I'm in love with the one who showed me his love. I'm in love with him. He poured his love out on me. He set me free. He changed my life. He gave me a new heart. He gave me a new mind. He set me free from things that, that I thought were going to give me pleasure or joy. And, and, and when he delivered me, he, he, did, he wasn't mad at me. He poured his love out upon me. And I now set my love back on him because he first loved me. And he says, because... He has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. He says, I will set him on high because he has known my name. In other words, in your business, in your workplace, wherever you're at, I've got people that I've been talking to and right now in their workplace, it's like the weirdest things. God is taking them from a position and without them even desiring it, he's elevating them and exalting them into another position. They're like, I don't even know why this is happening. I'm not even sure I want this. But do you realize that God will exalt you. But notice this, Jesus was exalted and given the name that is above every name. Why? Because he humbled himself and became obedient to the Father unto death. But he's going to set you on high because you know his name, because you know his character, because you know his love, because you know his nature. And he's going to begin to exalt you in the presence of people, not for your sake or for your glory, but so that they can see you and see Jesus in you. That's why he's going to set you on high because you know his name. It says, he will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, you know, sometimes, like I said, when we experience death, we come up with a lot of cliche things to say, but do not think about death in the way that the world thinks about death, folks. We say things like, well, you know, everybody's appointed a time to die. You know, there's nothing in the Bible that says that. There's a verse in Hebrews 9 that says it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. That is not a specific statement for people that should die at the age of three years old or four years old or anything like that. It's not God appointing people to die at a specific age. He's saying that all humanity, guess what? Now, because of sin, everybody's going to die once. But in, if you read the book of Proverbs, it says that you can extend your life through the fear of the Lord and wisdom. Or you can shorten your life by dishonoring your parents. Children. Teach that to your children when you go home. You know, the Bible says you can shorten your life, young man. You better honor me. You can extend and get length of days and long life added to you through wisdom. Do you realize that? 
How you treat your bodies is important. You can't smoke cigarettes for 30 years and then say, well, you know, it's appointed to me. No, you smoke cigarettes for 30 years. Damaged your lungs. That just came to mind. If that convicted you real badly, I still love you. But you got to use wisdom, don't you? Wisdom comes in. We don't think like the world, though. God wants to give us long life, satisfy us with long life. But why? So that we can reveal Jesus to the world, to people who don't know Jesus. And listen, when you know your God, like this psalm is talking about, you know he protects you. Jesus is going to become very appealing to people because you're going to know that you're loved, that you're protected, that you're safe, that you're guarded. And you're not going to fear any longer. That means that you can live in boldness all the days of your life. Amen. He's going to show you his salvation. He's going to show you Jesus. Once you bow your heads with me just for a moment. We're going to pray. I want, I want to just pray this over you. Maybe you can pray this with me to yourself, just where you're at. But I believe the Lord's doing something. Let's just, I want you right where you're at. You just allow this. You can follow me as I read it silently where you're at. But I want to pray this over you once again. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We will say of the Lord, Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress. You are my God and in you I will trust. Lord, we know that you will deliver us from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. You shall cover us with your feathers and under your wings, Lord, we will take refuge. Your truth will be our shield and buckler. And we will not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at our side and 10,000 at our right hand, but it will not come near us. Only with our eyes will we look and see the reward of the wicked because we have made the Lord, who is our refuge, even the most high our dwelling place. No evil will befall us. Neither will any plague come near our dwelling. For he will give his angels charge over us to keep us in all of our ways. In their hands they will bear us up lest we dash our foot against the stone. And we will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent we will trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life, God is going to satisfy you and show him the salvation that he's given you in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for that salvation. We thank you for that divine protection. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would move in every person's heart and that there would be an abundance of peace, that you would melt every fear in every heart right now, God, in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray there are people that are dealing with things and we need you to navigate some things so that people are protected, so that people are taken care of, so that people are healed and restored, Lord Jesus. And so we just pray right now that you begin to order those things and orchestrate events so that everything comes into agreement and into alignment with your kingdom and with your purpose and with your will. Lord, we give you the praise. We give you the glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you say amen to that? Let's stand to our feet. We're going to worship the Lord.